Welcome to Chatting with Asians. On this episode, I'm joined by Professor Daryl Nada, whose main interest is the social movements for racial justice of the late 1960s and early 1970s. We talk about the history of AAPI activism, the importance of racial solidarity, and whether we could see another wave of AAPI activism because of COVID-19. So here's my chat with Professor Daryl Nada. So firstly, I just want to ask how you're doing these days, given everything that's going on in the world. Well, thanks for asking that. Um, You know, I think I'm doing as well as can be expected under these very strange circumstances. Um, My family is healthy and um, I'm lucky enough to have a job that continues to exist. So I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, you know, it's uh, it's wearing, it's a little stressful. And I think at this point, probably all of us are a little tired of being housebound. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad to hear that you're doing well and, you know, that we're keeping sane with everything going on as much as we can. Um, The reason why I'm really grateful to have this interview with you is because I've recently had an awakening of what the label Asian American means to me. And I think it's especially because it's the first time I've been discriminated against based on how I look. And I also just want to be a better ally to other communities of color who have experienced systemic racism for much longer periods of time. Um, And I know that your main interest as a professor is the social movements for racial justice of like the the late 1960s and early 1970s. But I also want to go back during the mid 1800s to early 1900s. During that time, it was kind of like the first wave of Asian immigration, generally made up of groups of East and South Asian immigrants, mostly coming over as cheap laborers for plantations and farms, gold mines and railroads. And from then until World War II, these groups had faced race riots, massacres, internment camps, and exclusionary immigration laws. Since the term Asian American didn't exist yet, was there a sense of solidarity across ethnicity during this during this time of racial discrimination against Asians? It's a great question. And as you point out, um, each succeeding group of Asian immigrants faced uh, very similar kinds of discrimination, uh, racism, exploitation. And despite that, um, there really wasn't a sense of racial solidarity across ethnic lines at this time. In fact, um, I would say the opposite was true. And although that might seem surprising to us today, um, when you think about it from the standpoint of those folks, it makes perfect sense. After all, um, you know, uh, people don't come from Asia to the United States from their country of origin, thinking of themselves primarily as Asians. They think of themselves as primarily holding their own ethnicities or uh, being from certain countries. And of course, the history of, uh, of animosities in Asia is very long and runs very deep. So um, Asian Americans uh, or Asians in Asia, Japanese, Chinese, and Filipinos, who were the three major immigrant groups before the 1960s, um, certainly had uh, lots of animosities towards each other because of uh, of the ways that their their countries of origins had interacted. So, for example, um, during uh, Chinese exclusion, uh, once that was actually accomplished, um, and the, the United States and Hawaii started importing. Um, large number of Japanese Americans in order to fill the the labor gap, uh, 
Um, one, once they turn to, uh, once the United States turned to uh, discrimination against Japanese, the Japanese saw it as a great injustice. And part of the reason why they thought it was so unjust is that they, Japanese, uh, who were the equals of whites in their minds, were being discriminated against in ways that made them the equals, not of whites, but of the Chinese. And they, they did tend to see that as the one of the major problems. So, no, there really wasn't a lot of um, inter-ethnic solidarity in the period before World War II. In fact, uh, each ethnic group was at pains to distance itself from the others. So during World War II, for example, uh, Filipinos were at, uh, very eager to differentiate themselves from the hated Japanese. After all, Japan had invaded uh, the Philippines um, you know, at, at the same time that it was attacking Pearl Harbor. So there, there wasn't a sense that people were all in this together. Um, now, there were some instances where people from different Asian ethnic groups banded together to fight for, um, for justice, but it was much more likely to be um, in the interest of class solidarity. So there are examples where um, various Asian ethnic groups come together to demand better wages or to strike for better working conditions. But that class solidarity certainly didn't translate into racial solidarity. If we jump a few decades now to the late 1960s and early 1970s, I feel like most general American history courses have told us that this time period was defined by racial and social justice movements like the civil rights movement and anti-war protests. What I personally didn't know until only just a few months ago was that the term Asian American was born during this time, mainly driven by two factors. One, in protest against the atrocities of the Vietnam War and its effects on the Asian American community. And second, inspired by the styles and mobilization of the Black Panther Party. Do you think that there were any other factors that contributed to the uprising of the Asian American movement or helped to embolden it? Well, you're absolutely right that the term Asian American didn't exist uh, before the 1960s. In fact, it was invented in 1968. Um, I think one of the main factors that uh, led to the rise of the Asian American movement was an entirely different way of thinking about race in the United States. Prior to this period, the predominant understanding of race in the United States was, even among uh, racial liberals, was that racism was unfortunate, um, but diminishing in the United States that uh, we were making continual racial progress, that we were continuing to make the United States more and more of an egalitarian society. And that impression came to a crashing conflict with the civil rights movement in which African-Americans rose up and said that, in fact, the United States has not been making progress in including different uh, people of different races uh, and ethnicities into the American polity. Um, so the civil rights movement really broke open the door in a sense that it put a spotlight on the continuing nature of racial inequality in the United States. For the Asian American movement, what came to be uh, even more influential than the civil rights movement was um, the rise of black power in the United States. Whereas um, 
the civil rights movement uh, really strove for inclusion of black people, of African Americans into the American racial or into the American polity. Uh, the black power movement said, uh, what we want, what we need, what we demand is not to be simply included in the United States, but to recognize that we have a distinct history, culture, set of aesthetics, um, and that we need to, as African Americans, be in charge of our own destiny, right? This, uh, this notion of self-determination, as they call it, came to the fore. And so for Asian Americans, um, first of all, adopting a racial rather than ethnic lens meant that all of a sudden things made sense that hadn't made sense before. So in the history of uh, uh, migration from Asia, why was it that first the Chinese, then the Japanese, and then the Filipinos were subjected to immigration restrictions, were discriminated against in housing, in employment, in education? Why was it that each of these groups was successively banned from intermarrying with whites? Why was it that these groups were all successively um, prevented or banned from becoming naturalized citizens? And once you shift from an ethnic analysis in which you might say, hey, how come all of this is happening to one ethnic group after another, to a racial analysis in which you say all of these groups are racialized into the same category, it makes a lot more sense. All of a sudden you can say, oh, the discrimination, the exploitation that we face is of a racial nature, right? We all share the same discrimination because we are racialized into the same category. So once the Asian American movement made that fundamental uh, paradigmatic shift, um, it was able to align with other groups who also face racial discrimination in the United States. So not only African-Americans, but um, Chicano Latinos with Native Americans as well. So I would say that really the, the, the thing that became true in the 1960s and the 1970s domestically in the United States was that various Asian ethnic groups were able to insert themselves into the ongoing conversation about race in America. That was a, that was a huge motivating factor. And as you alluded to, a second motivating factor was um, once you understand that the United States uh, views you as a racialized subject, um, it became clear that the United States also viewed Asians in Asia in similar ways. And in particular, um, if the prosecution of the Vietnam War went on, um, motivated and impelled by a notion of, uh, of Vietnamese subhumanity, right? That Vietnamese people were seen as something less than human. They were seen, uh, you know, to use the racial epithet, right, as gooks. So for Asian American activists in the United States, right, they, they realized that the racialization of people's bodies didn't stop at U.S. borders, but in fact transcended them. It sounds like that there's a distinction between like race and ethnicity here. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that most of us think of ourselves as um, in, in terms of our ethnic identities first, right? I certainly think about myself as a Japanese American. I think about 
you know, the, the culture that I come from that, you know, that my parents um, instilled in me. Um, Asian American is a little bit more distant in the sense that it's a little bit more abstract, but in the eyes of the majority of the United States, um, you and I are interchangeable, right? We're both Asians. Uh, certainly racists don't tend to make uh, fine distinctions between uh, various different Asian ethnicities. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I, one of the other topics, topics that I've recently discovered is the, the argument to have data disaggregation for the Asian, or at least for the AAPI communities, right? Because um, when you look at the whole picture, it sounds like that we're all very successful on social economic factors, but when you actually disaggregate the data, I mean, there's such a huge difference between East Asians, South Asians, Southeast Asians, um, and not just in terms of, you know, social economic factors, but also maybe how how people are um, experiencing systemic racism too. Um, so I think that's also another interesting topic that I'm sure I can go into a whole other half hour about. <laughs> yeah, I, it's really important. Um, and it's 2020, so the census is out. It's really important that, that we be able to understand in a data-driven way um, the socioeconomics of Asian America, not just as a whole, but as you said, um, in, in nuanced ways. And so the disaggregation of the data gives us a lot more um, fine-tuned ways of understanding what's going on in our particular communities. But as a whole, it's still important for us to aggregate the data once, once we collect it in granular format to know things like um, the population of uh, various places of Asian Americans so that we can demand the social services uh, that we need. Mm, absolutely. Um, I know we were kind of like diverging into or segueing into another topic, um, but I kind of wanted to revisit the social justice roots of the term Asian American for a second. Um, I think because I was just so surprised and shocked about the history of the term and also the history of the movement generally. Like I just, for 30 years of my life, I never knew about this. And I think at the same time, it also concerned me that like assimilation and certain stereotypes about Asian Americans were kind of more formative and prevalent in my life. Ideas kind of like, you know, not rocking the boat, being obedient, and kind of keeping your head down and just focusing on school or work. So it just seems to me like the Asian American movement was like eons ago. And it just felt like the emotions of it felt so different to nowadays. Uh, do you feel like the Asian American movement lost, lost its significance as time went on? And why do you think so? Yeah, I would definitely say I don't believe that the Asian American movement lost its significance. Well, maybe let's revisit that. Um, perhaps the Asian American movement lost its significance as a formal uh, entity, but the ideas generated by the movement, uh, the activism um, that in, that's been inspired by the movement, um, and many of the activists who became politically aware because of the movement, their influence lasts 
uh, still to this day, and I, I would argue perhaps is even more important. So some of the things that we can look at are, first of all, we're using the term Asian American, which, as you point out, is a political marker that is that denotes um, an inclination towards social justice. Uh, there are innumerable um, Asian American nonprofits and community organizations that serve uh, communities across the nation in places that are totally predictable, like San Francisco and Los Angeles um, and New York, but also exist in places where you might not think that there are that many Asians. So the Asian American movement's significance, uh, it, it can't be underestimated right, in terms of the legacy that it provides to us. And uh, going back to your, your point earlier about um, this notion of Asian Americans being um, obedient, not rocking the boat, uh, focusing on education, that really goes to the model minority stereotype, which is something that is also, a, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a myth in the sense that it's not true. All Asian Americans are not this way. Um, and furthermore, it's a it's a political weapon that's wielded against us. And it's wielded against us in two ways. One, the model minority myth says that Asian Americans have made it in the United States, that we have achieved uh, and that racism and discrimination against us is an artifact of the past. Um, this is clearly not true. Um, we've seen it. Over the years, we saw it in the aftermath of 9-11 and the backlash against uh, South Asian, uh, South Asian Americans. Uh, we're certainly seeing a revival of it here now um, in 2020 with the rise in um, racism against uh, Asians who appear to be uh, East Asian. Um, and the model minority myth also serves to divide us from other people of color because the the model in the model minority myth is Asian Americans, but we are supposed to be, we are purported to be a model to other racialized people in the United States, an example of how not protesting, how being uh, dedicated to education, uh, how not trying to rock the boat is actually a better way to achieve equality in the United States. And the Asian American movement really protested against the model minority myth. They found it to be profoundly uh, disturbing and offensive. The other thing that I really want to point out here is that Asian Americans have not been a quiescent people. Um, if you look back in history, Asian Americans from the very first moment they arrived on U.S. shores, were resistant people. And that history often gets uh, kind, of, kind of lost. So Chinese immigrants, for example, were incredibly litigious. They were constantly going to court to try to defend their rights. Um, and so we, we can't think about the Asian American movement as the only the only instance of Asian American activism. In fact, it built on a much longer legacy of resistance in the United States. And so, you know, to return to the question of the significance of the Asian American movement in the present, um, the Asian American movement was a moment of, uh, of uprising that continues to resonate today. I feel like 
I've only also just recently discovered how the model minority myth has was was used as um, a wedge between other communities of color too, and I think that was also just kind of an awakening moment for me of of just wanting to learn how to be a better ally now and how to be um, how do I say it? Also, like, just just inspiring me to kind of reclaim the history and relearn Asian American history, because I think those are aspects that I never thought about, about how we've, there's always been a history of resistance ever since um, Asian immigrants came to, to the U.S. Um, and I think these are just important events in history that, you know, I would like the communities to just kind of remember right and to continue passing on these stories for future generations yeah and you're not alone in this um the history of asian americans in general has been put to the side right we're 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 not seen as central to the story of the united states but as i always tell my students um you can't understand american history if you don't understand asian american history um and the converse is true too. You can't understand Asian American history without understanding American history. So we're marginalized to begin with. And then furthermore, uh, the, the, the curriculum in uh, elementary schools and high schools and let's face it, even colleges and universities uh, still sees Asian Americans as, as the meek and the mild. And so in all of my work on the Asian American movement, I've been really working against that and trying to um, to cite people and other authors and to tell the story uh, myself in my own writings of Asian Americans as people who have stood up for themselves, who have understood the systemic nature of racism and imperialism in the United States and of, uh, of labor exploitation and of sexism and homophobia. So we've been here in the United States as resistance subjects for uh, over 170 years. And it's just time that we recognize that. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, this, this all incredibly resonates with me so much, especially on a personal level. Um, I, yeah, again, I just, I feel it's so important to reclaim the social justice history of the Asian American movement and, and before too, before the movement. What inspired you to become interested in Asian American studies? And why do you think it's important to learn about the Asian American movement? So I grew up in California in a community that had a number of um, Asian Americans in it. Um, Not that many Japanese Americans, actually. Um, And not that many of uh, any particular ethnic group. But I was friends. When I, growing up, these are still my friends t- till today um, with uh, Chinese, Filipino, Koreans. And, you know, we would give each other a lot of crap, right? We would have our standard, uh, you know, my, my ethnicity is better than yours kinds of arguments. But at, at the root of it, we knew that we had each other's back. And I always wondered about that. Like, what was it that drew us together? And so I just got started in, uh, I, I got really interested in questions of identity and belonging and trying to figure out where I and the people that I grew up with fit into um, society as a whole. And one of the first things that I thought about 
in college was, well, maybe I need to take some Asian studies courses. Maybe that will really teach me about uh, my history, my culture. Uh, And I tried that. And guess what? It didn't. It didn't resonate with me. Um, So I said, well, that's, that's not the answer. And so I kept reading and thinking. And um, then I discovered a novel by the uh, by John Okada, who published one of the first Asian American novels uh, back in the 1950s. And I read it and I said, oh, he gets it. I, I understand what he's talking about. Um, and so I really got interested in Asian American studies from that angle. And then, you know, as I got further and further on and thinking about this question of what does it mean to be Asian American? Of course, the question uh, came up for me, well, what does that term even mean? And that got me launched on studying uh, the Asian American movement, which was, of course, the movement that created the term in the first place. That's so interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I took one Asian American history course back in City College, and I kind of also remember the classroom just being very diverse at the time. Um, You know, I had my Korean friends there. I had my Filipino friends there. And I think it was just interesting for all of us to take this class together, even after the first day, and just feeling like we all kind of had this, I don't know, this learned experience together, yet also recognizing, you know, our our differences, but still coming together in solidarity, um, just from the histories that our families and ancestors kind of grew up with. Yeah, and that's the power of Asian American studies because that Asian American history narrative that you're uh, describing was really pioneered by people who were trained um, in the way of thinking that the Asian American movement provided. They were, I, I believe that one of the big accomplishments of the Asian American movement was to reinterpret the history of Asians in the United States in a way that reveals to all of us our, our shared position. And also honors our differences. Yeah, definitely honoring our differences. It it especially feels so strange nowadays. I think especially with the rising level of um, racism around coronavirus today, um, it just kind of feels like the time is right to stand in solidarity, not only within the Asian American communities, but also with other communities of color could we potentially see another wave of Asian activism or Asian American activism? Do you feel like there are notable similarities or differences with today's conditions compared to the conditions that led to the movement back in the late 1960s and early 70s? Yeah, the coronavirus has really laid bare the continuing nature of anti-Asian racism. And we have the president of the United States continuing to use terms like China flu or Wuhan virus, there are uh, innumerable reported incidents of Asian Americans being verbally assaulted, uh, called racial slurs, um, actually being physically assaulted. So we definitely see the uh, the, the impact that anti-Asian racism has as it rears its ugly head once again. Uh, I really think that the similarity between the 1960s and now is that the 1960s was a time when the 
when the moral bankruptcy of American society was put on stark display. And today we see ever increasing evidence that this growing inequality in the United States is reaching crisis proportions, growing inequality in terms of race and gender and sexuality, to be sure, and also economic inequality. So I think that in that sense, absolutely, it's the, the, the time is ripe for more Asian American Pacific Islander activism. But in response to the coronavirus specifically, I think it's so important that we think about how it is that we oppose the anti-Asian racism that has arisen in response to it. We might be tempted to just say, oh yeah, this is just racism against Asians. Once again, let's protest that. But it's not just racism against Asians that's being, uh, that's being revived here. It's uh, xenophobia against immigrants of all sorts. Um, the, the vehemence of the anti-Asian backlash really comes on the heels of uh, the, the fear and the loathing of immigrants from Mexico and Central America on the southern border. So for us, I think it's really important to, to connect those two things and to understand that the two are integrally, integrally interrelated. We can't tease out the one from the other. Things may manifest more in one particular moment than another, in one particular place than another, but they're all part and parcel of an overarching system of white supremacy in the United States. So when we think about Asian Americans and Asian American activism, it's absolutely crucial that we go back to the central uh, concept of the Asian American movement, which is that we're all in this together as Asians, and furthermore, that all of us as Asian Americans are in it with other people of color and other colonized people around the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me personally, there is one instance, I think as kind of the coronavirus media coverage got bigger, um, one instance where, you know, I was just treated differently because of the way that I looked. As specifically, um, I was with a group of friends, all of us look East Asian, and we were supposed to go to the airport. We had our luggages ready, and we had called a lift, and the lift driver had purple gloves on, had a face mask, so you can tell he or she was obviously, um, you know, a lot more concerned about coronavirus um, but took a look at us and said, oh, are you guys going to the airport? I don't, I don't have any more room in the trunk. Um, so I don't, I don't think I could take you guys. I, you know, I have to cancel on you. Um, and I think that was the first moment where kind of like one, I didn't think, oh, you know, maybe, maybe they're right. Like I immediately thought, oh, I, I don't know if it's because we all look East Asian. Um, and second, I think the immediate reaction I had in my head was just like, this is the first time I'm experiencing this, but there are other communities of color who have experienced this for so much more longer than I have. And, and, you know, I just, I, I think that just, again, leads me to the whole um, motivation for me to understand history again, especially during social movements and racial justice movements like the 1960s and early 70s, um, in order for me to just kind of 
I don't know, kind of deal with coronavirus now, how it affects other communities too, um, not just within the AAPI community, but outside of it too, because um, it's affecting everyone simultaneously. So um, I don't know. I just, again, I'm, I'm very appreciative of you sharing your thoughts and knowledge about this because it's been helping me to kind of understand better on how to deal with everything. Well, that's, uh, that's terrific. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. And it, like I said, I'm, in, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you. Um, I did just want to add one more thing about your response to that situation, which is indeed, you know, it's, uh, it's horrible. Um, that other ways of, uh, thinking about the coronavirus would lead us to more solidarity with our other um, brothers and sisters of color and, um, and people who are non-binary uh, people of color as well. Um, one of the things that is coming to the forefront is that the coronavirus is devastating uh, communities of color in ways that are just unprecedented. You know, some of the data coming out that something like 70% of coronavirus cases in Louisiana are African-Americans, right? These, the coronavirus in many ways um, is just revealing in stark ways the continuing inequality in the United States, both in terms of, uh, you know, a racist backlash, but also in the, uh, in the unequal distribution of um, healthcare resources and the, and the poverty that goes along with that in the United States. Yeah, those are absolutely good points that I, even I wasn't aware of until you just mentioned it. Um, there's a lot for me to think about, I think, especially after this episode. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to open this up to you. Like, did you have any other questions for me? Um, yeah, I mean, what what do you think uh, a conversation like this does for you in terms of moving forward? I think, well. I think I have this kind of like, in my mind, I'm thinking of it partially as a podcast host and then, you know, partially just for me personally. I think as a podcast host, I feel that I want to use my platform to amplify these kinds of conversations, um, conversations that I, I don't think I have a lot in my own personal life, but I have it as a podcast host. Um, there is a good number of listeners who who are interested in topics like this, who are interested in, in social and racial equality and also, you know, um, sexuality equality too. And so I think as a podcast host, I'm, I'm now looking forward to trying to make the connections with other people who want to have conversations and, you know, with other guests who don't, who, who don't necessarily, um, share the same background as I do and they don't have to be Asian or Asian American, right? I, if the messaging is to be in solidarity with other communities, uh, that's, that's what I want to live up to, right? I don't want to just talk the big talk. I also want to want to live up to that. Um, I think personally in my life, it's, these are issues that I want to bring up in my close circle of friends and family. Um, I think especially with my parents, it, I don't know why it just makes me think of my parents initially. I remember when I told my mom about the lift incident, um, that got her started into 
other stories or other experiences that she had growing up um, of being discriminated against when she came to America from Hong Kong. And it was just interesting to me because we had never had a conversation about that ever um, until I just shared my experiences. And so I think there must be something about having or creating a safe space to talk about these issues um, that allows other people to open up and hopefully have a better understanding of each other. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And it's, um, it's really great to open up those spaces for conversation because really we need to be able to share our, our ideas and our experiences with each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I would like to send you um, a, a terrific resource on this topic, particularly related to uh, coronavirus, but um, connecting it back to the history of anti-Asian racism. It was put together by Dr. Jennifer Ho, who's one of my colleagues here at the University of Colorado Boulder. So, you know, if, if uh, the podcast is a, a is a way to get that resource out to more folks, I think it would be terrific. Oh, that's amazing. I thank you so much. Yeah, I... So far, when I've been posting about um, thoughts on coronavirus and solidarity, it, it seems to really resonate with people, um, at least on Instagram. So I, yeah, any other resources that you feel like would be really helpful during these times, I'm always more than happy to share that. Well, terrific. I'll make sure to get it to you. Great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Professor Daryl Maida. For the latest thoughts on Asian American issues, follow me on Instagram at Chatting with Asians. Music was produced by Paulina Vo. You can follow her on Instagram at Vobot, spelled V-O-B-O-T, or on SoundCloud at Paulina Vo. Transcriptions and production assistance is by Marge Ostani. Thanks so much for listening.